Hey there, you freaks and you dirty little creeps. <laughs> My name is Kevin, and this is Totally Gruesome. Alright guys, thanks for joining me in my first ever podcast. I decided to tackle true crime podcasts or start one after listening to Morbid. Got a shout out to Ash and Elena. You guys inspire and continue to inspire and I love you for it. Um, A little bit about me. I am a cross-dressing, non-binary she-demon That is ready to wreak havoc on your ears and minds with these gruesome, gruesome, nasty, dirty, icky, icky tales. Okay? Okay. And, of course, since I'm crazy, I had to pick the most prolific serial killer in American history, who I didn't even know about till last year, so me, right? Loser. Anyways, we're going to be talking about Samuel Little. So, um, you guys strap in. There's going to be lots of, um, strangling lots of uh, sexual assault and just dumping bodies um there is some child molestation and stuff like that so trigger warnings for anyone that you know is sensitive to those things but um i'll i'll try to give trigger warnings before i go into the spiels of what is going on so buckle up girls let's get it so sam little Known as the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history, at 93 confessed and over 50 confirmed victims, the FBI believes all of his confessions are credible and have been able to verify 50 confessions with many more pending final confirmation. I enjoy finding out what shapes people to become this way, so I'd like to start from the beginning. I got direct quotes and information from Jillian Lawrence confronting a serial killer, but also Investigation Discovery's 93 Victims of Sam Little and the FBI website. Let's get into Little's childhood and history right now. Born June 7, 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia, Little claims his mother, Bessie Ray Little, was a teenage prostitute and that she had abandoned him. Authorities believe Little's mother may have given birth to him while she was in jail. Little about his childhood. Quote, My mama told me that she didn't want me. She wasn't but 16 years old. She said she tried to kill me in the womb. She said she took a rope and tied it around her belly, and her and her friend pulled it tight, and she couldn't stand it no more, and she stopped that. She said she drunk turpentine, Her girlfriend gave it to her, and the room was smelling so bad of turpentine, they couldn't stay in there. That didn't work. So I come out of her, and I just survived some kind of way. End quote. All right, let's get into Sam Little's early life. Bessie Mae Little was 16 years old, and she had an affair with Paul McDowell, who was a bit older. She became pregnant with Sam. Sam's mother was raised by her grandmother, Josephine, because her mother had died in childbirth. Josephine was furious that Bessie Mae had a child. So, around the time that Sam was in between six and nine months old, Josephine put Bessie Mae out and told her to get rid of her child, just put him on the side of the road. 
little about how his mother left him on the road. Quote, My mama later told me that it was raining out, and she didn't know where to go. And I was a greedy little rascal. She said I was just sucking titty, and I didn't care about nothing but. She kept me under her breast and walked around in the rain. End quote. Eventually, walking around so much, she exhausted herself to the point of collapsing. She crawled to the side of the road, laid Sam in the mud on his back, and prayed, Jesus, please protect this child. Quote, she left me beside a little dirt road where the dogs might find me and walked off and left me. The dude's name was Crip, and he was coming down the dirt road. He heard me crying, and he looked over and seen me laying on the side of the road, and he seen who I was and that I was Bessie May's boy. End quote. This is a pretty small town we're talking about here, so everybody knew that Bessie May's child was Paul's child, so Crip knew who Sam was and who he belonged to. So the peddler picked him up and took him to his paternal grandparents, and so Fanny and Henry took him in. They then moved to Lorraine, Ohio, and that's where he was raised by them as their child. Sam said, quote, I grew up different from most of the kids in my age. My grandma didn't really watch over me, I just ran the street. I would go to school with dirty and raggedy clothes on, and I was ashamed for them girls to see me. They would all laugh at me. I wanted to hold them and to feel them, their hair, and touch them, but they didn't want me. My dick got hard, and I knew then something was wrong with me, and I had been fantasizing about that all my life. I would look at magazines. I would look at pinups where a woman gets strangled to death in them. I would go to the drugstores and buy those true detective magazines, and I would take them upstairs in my bedroom, and I would pick out the ones where a man had strangled a woman before she'd done two-timed him. He didn't want to let her go, and he killed her out of love and heartbreak. I was only about 10 years old when I started first having the desire to do that to a woman, end quote. Little had a sexual fascination with women's necks as a youngster. He would cut out true crime magazine photos, not unlike the ones that Betty Page would model in, and post the pictures of the bound women on his wall. In 1956, when he was 13 years old, he ran away from home, and he saw some bicycles. He took one, and that was the first real time he had stolen anything. They caught and arrested him, and based on that he wound up in a boys' industrial school in Lancaster, Ohio. Sam was there for 19 months, and it was a historically very ab abusive environment, of course. Now, this is where I'm going to add a trigger warning here, because obviously these group homes were not it, like, or industrial homes, schools, whatever they called them at the time, weren't it. Um, definitely very horrible for children, so trigger warning. Here we go. Sam said, quote, I woke up to the reality of life watching kids get raped in front of you. That really woke me up. Now this is a quote from Jillian Lauren that is so impactful I couldn't help but share it. She said, <clears throat> Each night the younger boys kept their eyes shut tight and prayed, listening to the footsteps of the older boys stalking the rows of bunks. They knew the next sound they heard would be screams. If on some nights those screams sounded suspiciously like Sam's, he knew it was never him. It was understood that even if it was you, you never admitted it. It's so impactful. It's just incredibly intense, and I just love her writing, so I had to add that. 
Sam said, quote, I'm going to tell you when they was fucking you up there, it wouldn't be just one. It would be a whole bunch of them, and they would all gang you, and then they rape you. That is a place where I learned how to take care of myself. Started getting rough like they did, fighting back. I survived, and I learned how to talk cool. I learned how to talk about them girls I'm going to kick in their ass when I get out. You know what I'm saying? And when I see a woman, I didn't see no woman. I seen a hoe. Desires became drives. I'll be looking at a woman's throat. The older I got, the stronger the sensation. And a lot of my childhood was really mixed up with females. I'll tell you the truth. I loved them so much, but I was hurt by a lot of the things that certain women that I knew did. A lot of disappointment. And it was pretty rocky. End quote. He went to the Ohio State Reformatory at the age of 16. This is a direct quote from Sam about that time. <clears throat> quote, Man, that is a terrible place. They beat you with a leather strap. Several guys committed suicide. A lot of people died in that black. But I got used to it, and I fought my way up. End quote. He started to become a boxer in the reformatory, and that is how he climbed his way up. Quote, I definitely had a unique style that excited people. I thought I was going to be up there with Sugar Ray Robinson one day. End quote. Sam was the middleweight champion of the reformatory. So Sam gets out and decides to go to Cleveland to be a professional boxer. But he was a knockout fighter, so everyone was telling him to hold back. In doing so, he got his lips split and lost due to a technicality on points. He then put his boxing gloves in the trash and said, I'm never fighting again. He said, quote, I lost a fight boxing one time. That was what makes it embarrassing. I ain't got no killer instinct. The desire was there. See, this was the madman, the devil there. I was in a trance. I desired one thing, sex, end quote. Little also learned to draw in the reformatory when he was around 17 years old. So during the time that Sam was in the reformatory school in the early 60s, his mother, Bessie May, wrote him a letter and said, quote, I'm living in Miami. I'm living in a place called Coconut Grove. It's fantastic. The sun shines all the time. I have money. Won't you come see me, my one and only son? End quote. He hadn't seen his mother since he was four and accepted her offer. Sam said, quote, I was 26 years old and I laid eyes on my mother and she was hysterical with love. She ran around all the neighborhood, dragging me around. My son, I told you I had him. I told you I had a son. And I just couldn't be mad at her. End quote. So he then moved in with his mother, who had sort of a roaming house. He said, quote, She was the manager of this little shotgun house, a roaming house. And she gave me the room next to the kitchen, and she had a secret little hole where she would peek through. She is crazy. Bessie May is crazy. His mother wanted to make sure he was having sex so she would have a grandchild because she never got to raise him. When that wasn't working, she would crawl into bed with him at night and she would have him suck on her breast as an adult. <laughs> Sam said, quote, My mother did go in the bed with me. I woke up and she was laying next to me in the bed and she looked at my dick and she said, Oh, look how big my son's dick is. And I said, Oh, God, Bessie Mae. And she was like, I'll be your mother. You want to get back to where you came from? I said, no, no, mama. My mom said, go, come back where you came from. I actually felt sorry for her. I go, what in the hell? I don't know. 
end quote. So clearly Sam had been abused in multiple ways throughout his life. Here we go with the breaking point, the first victim. He said, quote, okay, the first girl I ever did that to took her life I'm talking about. January 1971. I took her out into the woods, alone, just me and her. She didn't realize that I was going to make my fantasy come true, and I had put my hands around her throat and my lips on her mouth, and I started squeezing. Instead of me just choking her and leaving her alive, I went all the way, end quote. The first murder happened before Sam's mom died, but then after he lost his mother, he goes fully off the rails and went on a killing spree. Quote, my mother, she died in my arms. She had cirrhosis of the liver. End quote. In 1961, Little was sentenced to three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store in Lorraine. He was released in 1964. By 1975, he had been arrested 26 times in 11 states for crimes including theft, assault, attempted rape, fraud, and attacks on government officials. It's crazy because he got more time in jail for robbing that furniture store and breaking into that furniture store than he did for actually raping people and attempted rapes and stuff like that. So it's pretty crazy how someone can just get away with stuff like that. It always blows my mind and I'm like, I can't get away with anything. So <laughs> it's like, okay, just let him off when he's trying to murder people. That sounds great. Little recounted that in 1971 or 1972, he met an attractive 18 to 19 year old transgender black woman in Miami, Florida. Little recalled her name was Marion or Marianne. Little said Marion was between 5'6 and 5'7 foot tall, approximately 140 pounds. Little first met Marianne at a bar known as the Pool or Pool Palace near 17th Avenue in Miami. A few days later, they met again at a bar in Overtown, where Little offered to give her a ride home. Little stated Marianne lived with several other roommates between Brownsville and Liberty City. When they arrived there, one of Marianne's roommates asked them to buy a can of shaving cream, so they returned to Little's car, a gold four-door Pontiac Le Mans. Little drove Marianne north on Highway 27 and killed her on a driveway, possibly near a sugarcane field. He then drove further down Highway 27 into the Everglades and turned down a dirt road that led to a river or a swamp. Little dragged Marianne's body about 200 yards into the thick, muddy water. He does not believe the body was ever found. In September 1976, Little was arrested in Sunset Hills, Missouri for the rape, assault with great bodily injury and robbery of Pamela K. Smith. She showed up hysterical on a stranger's doorstep after escaping Little's car and running nearly naked through the night, her hands bound behind her back with cloth and electrical cord. Little had strangled, bitten, beaten, and sodomized her. He was convicted of the lesser charge of assault with attempt to ravish and served three months. Victim Lit Hilda Nelson Little sat on a bench and watched the prostitutes in Carver Village. Sam attacked Hilda after she led him back to her place for a fun time. She turned to lock the door. He cold-clocked her and knocked her out. 
She had some scarves sitting on her dresser, and he took one and then started to choke her with it. She woke up naked and fighting for her life, trying to scratch Sam in the face and get him off of her. Hilda's best friend came looking for her, and Little said, She'll be out in a minute. He then pushed past the friend and left. They went down to the police station to give a statement and press charges, but the police didn't do anything about it. She said her mother made her go. She later said, quote, The only people who cared that a black prostitute was getting attacked was after a white girl went missing two years later. End quote. And that girl was Melinda Lepree. Melinda's boyfriend called Melinda's father to tell him that she was missing. Some of her friends had told him that Melinda had gotten into a car with a man and was never seen since. That's when Linda's brother started reaching out to the police in that area. She was a 22-year-old white female prostitute whose family was looking for her, and that changed everything for the police department. Melinda was beaten by her father brutally. She was desperate to get away, so she turned to selling herself as well as drugs. She was murdered three weeks after giving birth, September 15, 1982. They found her body in a ditch a month later. Manual strangulation was the cause of death. In a later interview with Jillian, Sam gave a recorded confession. Quote, That night I went out, and that's when I ran across Melinda Lepree. Me and her rode around, and we found a place to fuck in a graveyard. I reached down and wrapped my hands around her throat and squeezed until she went limp, and she was dead. I killed her in a graveyard, and she died without me even realizing it. I did it because it felt good. I killed her there in the graveyard. She laid up there for a month. End quote. November 1982. Investigators catch a break. Someone identified the car that Melinda was seen getting into in a corner store robbery, and of course, it's none other than Sam Little under the guise of Samuel McDowell. Sam Little used to use either his mother's last name or his father's last name. Either way, it helped him evade captures and literally have two different rap sheets, I'm assuming. Pascagoula, Mississippi, another victim, Layla McLean, was raped and strangled, but also survived. So Layla McLean and Hilda Nelson, being the only two survivors of Sam Little, go up to the station and pick him out of a lineup. Unfortunately, because they were black prostitutes, no one found their statements credible, and it was going to be hard to find a jury that would find their statements credible, since they'd been arrested numerous times. The hearing proceeded in 1983, on Sam facing two counts of attempted murder against Hilda and Layla. They actually had to walk several miles to the courthouse, and Hilda was pregnant at the time. When they walked in and she saw Sam, she was actually so frightened that she urinated on herself. As the trial concluded, there were no indictments, and literally no charges are going to be brought up against Little, and the justice system had yet again failed two more black women. The two women had to then walk back from the courthouse. They didn't get offered a ride or anything. Here's a Sam Little quote. I was nine years old. I was spending all day in the movies. I liked the ones where they would strangle women. This lady that I remember, she had a snake, a big boa constrictor. She was wrapping him around her body like it was her lover or some shit, and he tightened around on her and I see that bitch straight. And I knew that she deserved what she was getting because she had the snake, and she was teasing it and doing everything to it. That woman, she was crazy as fuck. Oh man, I used to want to see that one over and over. 
I fulfilled all of my imaginations and desires by force. I had to take what I wanted. I was lower than a serpent. A snake only kills for fear or hunger. I was killing for pleasure. End quote. And then he laughs. Patricia Mount, found dead, December 12, 1982. She was nude on her back, and she had defecation on her body and clothes. Quote, That girl was in Gainesville, Florida. She was one of my victims, I hate to say. She was one of my bar girls. I stopped over in Gainesville, and I seen the juke joint. And there she was. She had a long face and a long pretty nose and a long neck, so I chose her. We stopped at the liquor store. She was an alcoholic, and I bought her some wine, and we got back in the car and drove out to a big cow pasture. Soon as I felt her neck, I got rock hard. The bones in her throat was exciting me. I just had to do it, and I just squeezed her neck. After it was all over, I laid back for the next couple of days, just like a lion after he ate. He lays up under a tree and sleeps until he's ready to go again. End quote. She was 26 and had an IQ of around 40. At the time, he was traveling with Danny Beckless and Aurelia Dorsey. She was 27 years older than Sam, and they met in a jailhouse in Cleveland. She was a convicted shoplifter, she was his girlfriend, and he traveled the country with her. He called her Jean. Quote, Me and Jean, we traveled mostly through Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Jean would sell clothes and stuff all over the country. She got me out of many jailhouses, and she just clumped, clung to me because I think she loved me. She was an angel. I'll put it that way. End quote. The police were able to interrogate Beckless, and this is what he had to say. Quote, we stayed at the Star Motel. I felt Sam left the hotel at 7 that night. Sam came home the next morning, and I went out and found a brown matter in the backseat of the car and thought the car smelled funny, you know? Miss Dorsey cleaned out the car in the morning as best she could, end quote. So the police determined that Sam would murder at night, and Miss Dorsey would clean it up in the morning. Sam said, quote, I was used to the traveling to get away from one body scene to another. I wouldn't stay in that city where the body was at, because maybe they were going to say, ah, oh, I remember this guy, end quote. Danny disappears before they could take it to trial, and little was cleared of the charges against Patricia Mount. The jury in Patricia Mount's case basically victim-blamed her the entire time and said that she would get drunk and leave with random men, so she was basically asking for it. They kept catching him and letting him go, but somehow she was blamed. Classic police work, right? <laughs> Daisy McGuire, February 6th, 1996. Halma, Louisiana. She was 40 years old, and her case was cold for 20 years. Daisy was full of laughter and fun to be around. She had a beautiful voice and loved to sing. She used to sing with her brother, and he stated that they took advantage of life. She loved everyone and was a free spirit. Daisy got roofied at a party once in the 80s, and she was raped. She never bounced back from it. Around 1986, she started using crack, and from there, everything went downhill. In 1996, she withdrew from her family, and her marriage was crumbling, so she became a nightcrawler and went down a darker path. Daisy McGuire's brother said that when they went to the sheriff's office, they were told she died of an overdose and hypothermia. The family wasn't taking that due to her condition. 
The police claimed that there was no foul play, but her nose was broken, her jaw was broken, and her face was unrecognizable. How the actual fuck can they tell a family that there is no foul play with evidence like that? The sheriff told Daisy's six brothers, quote, If you want to find out who killed her so badly, go and look for them, end quote. They basically told the family to their face that she wasn't important enough to investigate. That's the police in 1996. I mean, that's the police throughout history, low-key, but we'll just say 96 for the sake of the story. Daisy's brother actually had met Sam two days before he killed Daisy. He came to their sister's house with her. Little said, quote, I only knew her for about a week. What do you want to know about her? Her neck was slim like a swan, and she had the prettiest neck you'd ever want to lay eyes on in my mind, so I chose her. Daisy was some sort of fanatical Christian. She walked around with a Bible in her hand all the time. And she was smoking on more crack cocaine than anybody. I remember that. She walked around preaching one minute and sucking on a pipe the next. Her people kind of looked at her as loose upstairs. She had her dirty clothes piled up to the ceiling. You couldn't even see her bed. I'd never seen people come to her house. She stayed there by herself. A black dude introduced me to her and told me he didn't give a fuck about her. And I said, well, if you don't want her, I'll take her. And that's how we got together. I drove around there for about two or three days. We had arguments over $20 that she wanted to buy some crack cocaine with, and I didn't give it to her. She was mad the next day. I came back and picked her up, and that's the day that I finally killed her. So I pick her up in the car, and I park beside this tool business. We were in the driveway at 5 o'clock in the morning. She had on a sexy outfit. She loved that feeling of look, but don't touch. That's what she got a kick out of teasing but she didn't realize that she could go too far with that then i just grabbed her around the neck and squeezed she realized i wasn't gonna let her go i got off but she didn't get off i strangled her in the front seat end quote he then put her under a building where a man walking his dog found her the family couldn't even identify her because she was beaten so badly they could only recognize her by the tattoos on her hand all right, guys, we're going to wrap up episode one, part one of Samuel Little there. We have more victims. My timeline for the victims kind of is all over the place. So you'll have to forgive me. We are going to be jumping around like little time jumping jelly beans. <laughs> so that'll be fun next time. We have a surviving victim. And then we have, you know, the rest of the victims, of which I can't get into all night three, obviously. So I just picked the ones that stuck out to me and the ones that have the most information. So thank you guys for joining me for this episode of Totally Gruesome. I, again, am your host, Kevin, and I really appreciate you listening in. I hope to see you for our next episode. Bye! Mm-hmm.